All right, welcome back to Collateral Banter episode 39. Yes, I posted an episode yesterday, recorded it yesterday, and I've decided to go for two in a row. That's why I'm back in the studio today. I am going to do a little bit of reading from one of my favorite authors, Sean Baudrillard. So I have done episodes like this before, and I want to read again from Praxium, one of his books, where he is being interviewed by Philippe Petit. Yes, Philippe Petit. So it's an interview he has with Jean Baudrillard. What I'm going to say in in this episode, or I want to discuss, is I want to critique Baudrillard in his analysis. You know, for a long time, whenever I've had interviews with my friend Jerry or read, read Baudrillard's books, it seems like he is able to predict the future quite accurately. However, there was a part in this book that I didn't talk about previously, but that I knew I wanted to discuss in a future episode, and that's why I'm recording this episode. So I'm going to read a little bit, and it's all just on one page. It's on page 49, and it talks about human identity. Here's what he says. Are we all trapped in this simulated adversity? The weakening of destiny, the lack of destiny, is our big issue. In an ultra-protected, ultra-integrated world where the risks are part of the great recycling, the individual is desperately seeking an identity. The worst of it is that the individual's only recourse is to pit himself against the ultimate value of identity, which in my opinion isn't a value or is at least a weak value in which everyone finds himself confronted by the crucial quest problem what am I? What do I want? Where is the other? He becomes, once again, an individual grappling with his shadow and one who has lost the shadow once and for all. Then Baldriard is asked by Philippe, what then would be your conception of the real philosophical monster identity? Now, here is where things really, really different perspective on identity and I'm going to try to critique it. But again, I, I'm not an expert in Baldriard. I'm teaching myself a lot of it. So here's what Baldriard says to Philippe's question about the real philosophical monster identity. Identity is a dream pathetic in its absurdity. You dream of being yourself when you have nothing better to do. You dream of that when you have lost all singularity, and culture is precisely the extreme form of singularity of a society. Today, sadly, we no longer fight for sovereignty or glory. We fight for identity. Sovereignty was a mastery. Identity is merely a reference. Sovereignty was adventurous. Identity is linked to security, and unfortunately, also to security and control systems which impose identity on you. Identity is the obsession with recognition of the liberated being, but liberated in a vacuum and with no idea at all now where he is. It's an existence label. All energies of people, entire minorities, individuals, are concentrated today on this disreaffirmation. This statement bereft of pride. I am. I exist. I'm alive. I'm called so-and-so. I'm European. You have to prove the obvious. And having done so, suddenly it's not obvious at all. Identity is an insoluble problem. For better or for worse, it's 
desperate fantasy of the whole technical rational enterprise. The aim is indeed to identify everything by excluding the negative aspect, by excluding evil and producing self-identical molecular beings. Identification of the individual, the subject, the nation, the race, the identification of the very world itself, now technically and absolutely real, having become what it is, and that's all there is to it. So there's no longer any possibility of metaphor or metamorphosis, metamorphosis. Only the indefinite, only the indefinite metastasis of identity remains. The mirror stage has given way to the video stage. Nothing escapes this kind of image recording, sound recording, this immediate simultaneous consciousness recording anymore. Nothing takes place now without a screen. It's not a mirror anymore. So I'm in the process of reading about Baldriard's analysis of the consumer society and consumption and what that all means. So I'm working this out for myself. So I want to say that my thought process on this is not complete. But when I think about it, there's a lot in the work I've seen. Baudrillard isn't discussing what identity means from an economic perspective. Okay. In this cyber-connected world, we live in an age where self-affirmation is something that people strive towards because people, if they see images on the internet or screens or photographs or TV shows that look like them, that act like them, that have the same gender, sexuality, and all of these things, then it gives them self-affirmation that they're not different, right? That there's maybe a sense of you're not alone, that there's a community out there for you that no matter what people tell you, no matter how much abuse you have, that you have somebody out there who looks like you, acts like you, thinks like you. There's this human connection to looking for people in your tribe who think like you, act like you. There's some communal need. And I think my critique of Baldriard is that this identity is integrated into a system of production. And what I mean by that is it, it isn't just so much about consumption, but it is that identity is being commodified itself. And I think he would agree with this if maybe this book was updated. But I, I maybe he talks about this in Consumer Society. But I, I tend to tend to look at identity is people striving for, to understanding themselves, who they are. And yes, they're not yet talking about sovereignty or glory and things like that. But I actually think that in some ways they are undoing sovereignty and glory in a more radical sense that as they strive for self-identity, they can begin to create a global coalition of people, right, that look like them, act like them, talk like them. They begin to expand out to the world. And you do this through the Internet and identities. And, of course, companies and businesses and governments all can work together to monitor your identity, who you're contacting, who you're meeting with, and 
begin to surveil in case you do come out and attempt to change sovereignty or glory or some of these macro political fights. I'm not so sure that I am as pessimistic about identity as Baudrillard thinks, because also I don't think identity itself identifies what your political beliefs are. I think on average, people who have certain identities might share certain political beliefs, but I don't think it's universal. I think once you begin to have conversations with people, you begin to see that people of color don't all share the same political beliefs, despite the fact the overwhelming number of African Americans voting vote Democrats, or the overwhelming number of Hispanics nowadays, almost 75%, also vote for Democrats. It doesn't mean that within that, that there aren't socialists and anarchists and radicals and liberals and moderates and uh, slightly conservative, but they'll still vote Democrat because they don't want to vote Republican or something like that. Identity is certainly part of this technological world that we live in, right? It, it You're able to see things, and there's some power in seeing things. I think that that's where I think I disagree with Baudrillard, is that the visual itself gives people certain power, gives people certain feelings in life, and a hopeful feeling that they can find other people online who are like them. And I, you know, I'm now I'm thinking of gaming culture and how much that is today. And so I, I don't think it's a, 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 like he's describing it as a dream pathetic in its absurdity. I don't think people are just saying the obvious things. I think people are beginning to express what their identity means in hopes of finding community belonging, and then creating a political project once they've galvanized other people who share their identities. The political struggles that come after people have created identity is a more exciting political project than just merely finding your identity, right? What is the political struggle after identification? is an interesting question. And the thing is, it's likely to subdivide identities. You you see this today. It's really interesting. Donald Trump supporters who voted for Bernie during the primaries and who voted for Barack Obama four years prior from 2016. So you have people who are going through not necessarily identity, but looking for a certain political program that they think would be best for them. And it's not so much about political parties, maybe, but uh, they want to find a connection. And this makes me think that Donald Trump did strike a chord with many people by using his identity as a white American to connect with white Americans who are still the majority in the country and to kind of feel like, I'm just like you. I fight for country and for flag. It's why he's hugging and kissing the flag and doing all these things. I I think he's doing this on purpose to tell his base, I'm one of you. You love me. I love you. We're in this together. It doesn't matter how absurd I sound 
on CNN, on MSNBC, at the New York Times and Washington Post, Wall Street Journal. I'm one of you, and you can see it through my actions. And, of course, there's a part of this that's an entertainment value. There's going to have to be a politician like Trump on the left in order to capture this because I don't think the political system can go back to the old ways. I don't know. I, it can be wrong, obviously, but I just feel like things are have changed fundamentally. The future presidents will have to be on social media. We'll have to use Twitter. We'll have to use possibly Instagram and other modes of communication with people. A person who can do that as a politician will have the best chance to both capture votes and to gain popularity for their proposals. So yeah, that that is, I think, a a part of our future that we cannot escape. Identity is a powerful weapon politically for politicians, and we can disregard it and say, no, we all need to come together around economic issues. And I have to admit on this podcast that that is my default. Oftentimes when I'm talking to friends or thinking about politics and economics, I tend to be one who sees economics as the central issue around all politics. I mean, even something like Abortion rights, I think, in an economic perspective. How many children you have, that's future labor force. How many children you have in a family will affect your ability to save and to buy a home or rent an apartment and all these things. I always reduce a political issue somehow to economics. And it's a fault that I have that I'm willing to admit. It's it's not how most people discuss or see things, but it is the way I oftentimes analyze things is I somehow always reduce it back to some economic determining factor, some economic factor that I, I try to escape, but I can't. And so when I think about identity and hearing him sort of deride identity as an absurdity, I I just tend to think is, no, identity is what can be commodified, right? Yes, it gives people a sense of purpose, meaning, community, but it's also a way to sell people things. It's about advertising and selling goods. So I guess it does go back to consumption. Yeah, it is about consumption. I'm wrong there. As I was saying earlier, it's not about consumption. No, it is. It is about consumption in many ways. But to get you to some perfect consumption advertising economy, you need to first explore what your identities are, what it is you like to wear and ride in your car or what type of clothes you like to have. That is then commodified. But you had to do the first thing first. You had to go and figure out and explore what your identity is. Now, an interesting idea is our identities aren't always shifting. Aren't they always changing? You know, what you used to believe two or three years ago, maybe two or three months ago, perhaps changes. And so our identities are also in flux. Sure, there are identities that tend to stay the same throughout a person's life, but not always. And so there is a lot of fluidity in this world. And so I'm less 
I'm a bit ambivalent about what identity means. And I used to be a harsh critic of it and thought, I think a lot like Baudrillard that it's some pathetic absurdity or something like that. <laughs> but I, I don't anymore. I've begun to understand, often because of the things that Baudrillard was writing 20, 30 years ago, that identity is more about an ability for people to express themselves. And yet what is really happening in my mind because I'm always trying to determine an economic reason for things. It is a way to commodify human desire and human thought process. We do this now. You can take photographs of yourself to measure the proper sh shirt sizes, proper pant sizes. Algorithms can decide who you'll marry, who you'll go out with, who you'll go on dates based on your history, based on your profile, and other things like that. So I'm fascinated by this development. Yeah, it is, you know, on one part I want to agree with Baldiard, and at the same time, when we see how identity is such a crucial aspect of this globalized digital technological economy, it's, it's not surprising that people are obsessed about their identity. And, but you, oftentimes, I think identity is too simple. People are more complex than a singular identity. People want to know who they are, but then branch out. And their identity might change, and their political preferences might change, or their political ideas might change over time. So I don't want to reduce identity as to define what people's politics are think that that's a mistake. And I've done that a lot throughout my life is to assume based on an identity that a person is believing a certain thing because of their race or gender or ex social economic status. And I think each of those identities itself, if I were to break that down, is different, right? It's hard sometimes to judge what a person's social economic status is. What is a person's economic status? Are they middle class? Oftentimes people can dress like they're middle class, but if you go see what they drive or where they live, they certainly don't live a middle class lifestyle, right? And then what is a middle class life? And it's the same thing with race. And you see beginning to see that. It's like there's a, an incredible increase in the number of mixed race couples around the United States and around the world. And so, so will race begin to itself change in the future, right? Instead of us having, no, this is one race and these are, this is one people, you're now beginning to see as people get to travel all around the world that racial compositions and ethnic compositions and religious compositions will lose their meaning that they once had. They will lose the meaning they once had, not necessarily just go away. But maybe this is what it takes to create this internationalized global community that I believe is ultimately what global capitalism, globalization, if you will, is actually creating. One global sort of identity across borders, cultures, religions, ethnicities, and they will create some common purpose for humanity. See, I can always bring back my technological viewpoint, my, my futurism. I'll bring back my, my futuristic uh, perspectives on the globe and the economy, that it shouldn't always be about the immediacy of today, but where's human? where are human beings going to be in 20, 40, 50 years from now? And so I really think that that's where we're headed. And yet I think globalization, global communication, global travel at record speeds 
and record low prices is transforming humanity. And I would suspect that a large part of these right-wing groups that we see today in India, in Israel, Brazil, the United States, Hungary, Italy, I think these groups are oftentimes supported by people who very much foresee that there is this cultural racial shift going on on a global level and people are afraid because they think the other is a threat to them. I don't believe that, but oftentimes people do. I don't think I think if you really look at history, we've been always traveling and intermingling with different racial groups and different identities. And I don't see that this period in the future is going to be any different except that I think the number of people who can who can travel will be significant and the number of people meeting new cultures, new identities will be transformative. I don't know how. If I knew that, I'd probably be a very rich person. <laughs> Makes me think of Anthony Bourdain as a person who traveled the world, experimented with different foods, and learned about different cultures, and told this human story. He, he is a interesting person from that perspective of as a globalized citizen as a global citizen hearing this type of confirmation this type of discussion if anybody's out there and hasn't seen Battlestar Galactica not the one made in the 70s but the recent one the more recent one they should watch it I think it is an excellent story I very much enjoyed Battlestar Galactica and so, yes, somehow I got reading about identity and Baldriard and ended up on Battlestar Galactica. Because that's what you get when you listen to Collateral Banter. Hope you enjoyed it. There we go. Episode 39 done. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening. Take care. Bye. Bye.